Okay, so what you have in front of you is a um, is a selection of three different sources from the Talmud. Uh, there's more sources that were left off. And we'll see if we could um, maybe touch upon those as well. But um, before we start, I think I, another disclaimer. So we made a few disclaimers already. Um, another disclaimer that we have to make is that the issue being addressed is one of the two issues. Means there's, there's always two issues involved. There's the emotional and there's the philosophical issue. Uh, you know, when something bad happens to someone good, philosophically it's a problem and emotionally it's a problem. Both of those are legitimate. Both of those are addressed in the sources. However, it seems like the emotional issue is a much more difficult issue uh, to adequately address. Uh, and therefore, we're going to take uh, the uh, philosophical dilemma at the root of the problem and, and, and not the emotional one. Now you say, wait a minute. Uh, who says that there is an emotional problem? So I'll point to you to uh, Abraham and Sarah. We know Abraham is, um, Abraham is the father of the greatest idea in all of human history. And that's the idea of God. He's the one, he's the first one via the powers of his own intellect, you know, the faculties of his mind. Monotheism. He, monotheism. He deduced that from, from intelligence, you know. So, um, and, and it was, it completely flew in the face of the prevailing uh, position of the people that he uh, were in his society. So Abraham is clearly someone that has very, very prodigious intelligence. No one's going to deny that. Yet, we find when Abraham's wife, whose name was Sarah, when she died, what did Abraham do? He eulogized her, and he set aside time to cry for her. Abraham had mourning, mourning in the form of crying and eulogizing and, uh, you know, just letting out your, uh, you know, let your emotional side uh, surface. You know, that, that's an emotional response. And I think perhaps when the Torah tells us the response that Abraham had to his difficulty in his life and tells us that it was an emotional response, I think it's telling us that uh, even Abraham, even someone capable of such intellectual heights, he didn't ignore the, the emotional aspects of his, of his tragedy. So we're not going to be addressing that part, but not, we're not saying that it's not valid. It's a valid question that has to be addressed as well. For tonight's discussion... If you, if you have to pick a, a place in the Torah for this, is Job. Job, that's right. The, the entire book of Job. Uh, and clearly in the book of Job, as we know, is one of, the, one of the books of the Bible, thus the Jewish Bible, thus we see that this is an issue that is addressed. So like I said, these are a selection of sources. And, 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 like, and like I mentioned... The reason why I selected these sources is because I found a very interesting pattern that was very intriguing to me and hopefully intriguing to us as well. Okay, so let's look at the first source. This is from the book of Menachos. Menachos talks about, uh, we know the Talmud is comprised of 63 books. The book of Menachos deals with, who wants to venture a guess what Menachos deals with? Anybody? Stuff. Stuff. (laughs) It's a fantastic guess. Uh, Menachos deals with the um, offerings, flower offerings that were given in the temple. Like Seems grain flower. Or the plant flower? Uh, grain flower, flower. 
flour and oil and all that. On 29b, we find an incredible, incredible uh, narrative. Okay? I wanna, we, we're going to read it, but we're also going to highlight some points that we'll maybe go back to. So let's, let's start here. This, remember, this is my translation, so I take uh, full responsibility for any errors that before. But it's a good translation. I made some, I know I made a few mistakes. I, when I read it over, I made a few mistakes. Okay, let's start. When Moses ascended to heaven, he found the Almighty sitting and tying crowns atop letters. Okay, so when is this? When is this? What, at what point in time are we talking about? He died before entering Israel. Well, okay, for sure. But is this. So, what, I'm not saying Exactly. This is what it's talking about. Moses, we know the Mount Sinai story. We read it a few weeks ago in the Parsha. Um, when he died? When we no, 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 no. He's, he's receiving the Ten Commandments, right. So uh, it's 50 days after the Exodus. They're uh, encamped in the mountain. In the morning, Moses goes up. They have the Ten Commandments. And Moses stays in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Why, why is it called heaven? I haven't heard it called heaven before. Well, it's called Marom. I think the heaven was my translation. Once again, Marom, um, I think the Mar- Mar- Shemaim is literally heaven. Um, Marom is, is, seems like it's a, I don't know how to translate. This is, that's the translation I came up with. Um, like I said, it's, not, it's, it's from the original Hebrew and Aramaic. So the top is, is written like a mixture of Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, so Moses goes up and he dismembered. Moses disappears for 40 days. He wasn't on the mountain, you know. He was on some sort of spiritual reality. You know. In this world, you cannot live without food and water for 40 days. Moses didn't eat and didn't drink. The Torah stresses that. He wasn't on this physical plane. He was in some other existence. Remember, he's there. He's seeing God tying crowns atop letters. Clearly, that's not an experience that we experience on planet Earth. So that's where he is. But it's important. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll just hold that thought. When is this? This is at the time where Moses is up. In, in, in heaven, receiving the, the, the tablets, which, by the way, first ones, uh, it seems like, first ones. Uh, later on, Moses can come down from the mountain, and he's going to take those tablets and throw them on the ground and break them. What, what does it mean, tying crowns on top of that? Okay, good question. There's uh, four, uh, sorry, six letters, if you look at a Torah scroll, that have little crowns on top of them. Like a nun. If you look on top of a nun, on, the Torah scroll has uh, crowns, like a crown on top of the letter. Let's like, uh, I had a pen. I can make a picture for you. Here's a pen. Just, uh... It's like a, like a sheen on top of the... Uh, no, it's not a sheen. It's, it looks oh, like a sheen. Oh, 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 it's a sheen. <laughs> like a shiny <laughs> shin, yeah. Shin. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not the first time I've had that mistake. I was once in someone's house, and the house had art—not as much art as it is in this house. <laughs> I was in a house that had that had art um, by uh, some famous uh, artist, uh, Kahana. It's a famous artist, Jewish artist. So, and the guy was showing me, like, you see the sheen. I'm like, looking for some sheen, like, you know, that like they pointed to a shin, like a shin. It's a sheen, I'm like. It took me like a while. I don't see it. He's like, no, it's right there. Look. Okay. So, uh, so, so Moses sees so God. No, no. No. So he, so, 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 um, so yes. Um, so he sees God tying letters. So what is it? When he asks God, he says, 
who's obstructing your way? That's what it means, literally. But what it means is the commentary is explaining. It's like, why do you need to do that? Like, why do you have to do this? You're giving the delivering this now. You're delivering this, this Torah to, to humanity. You don't have to throw color off their letters. What's the point of it? So God responds, there is a man who will be in the future after several generations, and his name is Akiva ben Yosef, Akiva the son of Yosef, Joseph, and he will derive piles and piles of laws from every tick. Every little, every little, you know, just symbol or, or sign on top of the letter, Rabbi Akiva, the famous Rabbi Akiva that existed at the times of the destruction of the second temple, roughly not 1,400 years after this conversation is happening, he's going to derive laws. He's going to see this in the Torah and be able to learn laws from it. So Moses says, show him to me. I want, let me see, I want to meet this Rabbi Akiva. Straight over, he's going to derive piles upon piles of laws from every little tick on top of the letters? Show him to me. So what does God respond? Go back. He says, go back. And he went and he sat at the end of eight rows. So Moses is transplanted, is apparated into the future. And he's sitting in the lecture hall of Rabbi Akiva. And he did not know what they were saying. And he became dejected. So Rabbi Akiva is given a lecture. Moses all the way to the back. There's eight rows. By the way, each little line in this Talmud is discussed uh, you know, at great length by the commentaries. So what's the eight rows? What's the meaning? Moses sitting, why was Moses sitting in the, in the back? How does this whole, whole, whole thing work? We're, you know, we're trying to get to the end of this, tell me, but just it's, it's, it, the picture here is a very vivid picture here. So Moses is sitting all the way in the back. He doesn't understand what Rabbi Kiva is saying. He gets upset. When Rabbi Kiva arrived at a certain matter, his students questioned from, uh, questioned, from where do you know this law? So Rabbi Kiva said a law and says, wait a minute, where's the source? How do you know? Where in the Torah does it say this? Uh, he said to them, it is a law to Moses from Sinai. This is just a law from Moses from Mount Sinai. So Moses hears his name. And then one day suddenly he gets happy. So Moses is placated. Moses is happy. Okay, fine. Like, I, this is still something to do with me. Okay, he returns. So now Moses comes back to God and says to him, um, Master of the world, you, ha- you have a man. Sorry, it's just a you have a man such as this. And you give the Torah via me? Why don't you give the Torah to Rabbi, through Rabbi Kiva? Why am I the one who's going to be the conduit, the channel? The person who's going to deliver the Torah from God to, to the Jewish people. Let it be Rabbi Kiva. Look, look at just the, 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 you know, the uh, tremendous uh, scope of his, of, of his scholarship. The, the, the great person. <clears throat> Give the Torah through him. What does God respond? He says, silence, so it was deemed in my mind. God does not respond. He says, be quiet. Don't ask questions. Shtok. That's what it says in Hebrew. If you know Hebrew, like the, if you want to tell a kid the Cover your ears, but uh, uh, you want to tell someone to shut up? You say, shtuck, be quiet, silence. That's what the verse says. That's what it was saying. That's what it says in the Talmud. God says, shtuck, be quiet. Don't, don't, silence. Uh, so, so it was deemed in my mind. This is the way I think. This is, this is the way, this is the decision I made. Fine. Now Moses asked another question. Master of the world, you showed me his Torah. Now show me his reward. I mean, Kiva, his Torah, just... Piles and piles of laws he's deriving from every little, little, you know, little tick on top of the letters. I want to see what his reward looks. What does the reward look like for someone like Rabbi Akiva? So God says, go back. And he went and he saw that they were flaying his skin with combs. Rabbi, Did he get executed? That's right. Rabbi Akiva was killed in the year 136 uh, during the time of the Shemad. Um, 
under the under uh, the rule of the Jews were under the rule of Hadrian. Israel was under the rule of Hadrian, and Hadrian made um, a very restrictive decrees against the Jewish life and practice. For example, he said if someone teaches Torah, they get executed. If someone uh, if someone gives their child a circumcision, the mother and the child would both be thrown off a cliff. If someone keeps Shabbat, they'll be executed. Very, very restrictive practices. That led to the Bar Kokhba Rebellion in the year 132 of the Common Era. Uh, we know Bar Kokhba, that rebellion lasted for three years, but it's the only time in the entire period of Pax Romana uh, where the Romans basically controlled everything, where the Romans were kicked out. It lasted for three years, uh, and then they came back with a vengeance, and uh, that's when the slaughter of Betar happened. If you learn more about that, read about it. Uh, very, very devastating uh, brutality was uh, brought upon those Jews. And then afterwards, he made a shmad and you know, systematically executed all the great rabbis, one of them being Rabbi Akiva. And he was executed by having his skin flayed, which is... Uh, not a good way to go, from all accounts. Is this the same Rabbi Akiva that his, his students went in the cave and died? Or is that something no, 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 you, you mentioned two stories. Rabbi... No, 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 that's the third thing. There's three things around here. The Bar Kokhba <laughs> caves are in Qumran, uh, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. The cave you're talking about is Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, who lived They're in a cave. Hiding. No, he's They're talking about the 24,000 students. 24,000 students. Yeah. Right. They, they, like, they, no caves, no caves involved. I thought it ended, they like went into something. Rabbi Shimon was one of the last of those students. How, how did they determine when the thing was going to stop? Didn't they like go into a cave and then it came out alive? They kept on doing that every day or something? Maybe. I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe. I don't know what I'm talking about. There might be some measures like that. Either way, that's the famous Rabbi Kiva. So all his students passed away. Then. Besides for five. Mm-hmm. One of the, besides for five. Either way, so, so that's a great ending. I mean, that's a, that that's horrible. Right? It's terrible. I mean, it's terrible. Inside, he dies, and that's he's his reward. Uh, well, okay. So there's a lot of questions we have to ask when we is this commentary? Or is this, in the this is Talmud. This is Talmud. Commentary. This was called the Oral Torah. Um, but if you say this is this goes back uh, almost two thousand years, you know, this is not like uh, something that was written recently. What's the day when the students stopped dying? Lot Bomer. Lot Bomer. 33 day, 30, right. 33rd day of the so. Okay, so um, Moses, uh, let's get back to the, the sources here, okay? Moses, no, not to say that, the, that diversions of the sources are not good. I, I like that. Let's try to uh, go back here because there's some major problems and I think Ben mentioned to them. Moses asked God, you showed me his Torah, now show me his reward. What does he get shown? His torture. Okay. Now, what does Moses say? Moses says to God, Master of the world, this is Torah and this is, re- this is the reward? Really? This is the reward? What does God respond? Silence, so it was deemed in my mind. Okay, that's, that's where the, the, the source ends. So, what do we learn from this? Well, let's first figure it out. Let's ask the questions. There's a few obvious questions that need to be asked. Of course, um, the whole story itself is, you know, just to understand technically how that happened. That's one question. Oh, that's another fantastic question because there has never been any place 
not in Mishnah, not in Talmud, not in Midrash, not in Sefer, not in Sefer, not in Sefer, all the sources in Jewish Jewish world. We can't find anywhere. Not Maimonides, not Nachmanides, not Rashi, not anywhere have we ever seen a law that, that, that was derived from a little bit on top of a letter. There has never been that recorded. So what are these laws that we even talk about? That's a fantastic question. But our discussion really revolves around the, uh, the end uh, of, of this episode. Moses asked God, a question. Where's his reward? God says, okay, I'll show you his reward. He sees him being flayed alive. Seems to me he said it's none of your business. No, and then he says, wait a minute. This is the Torah. This is the reward? He says, none of your business. So the first first question, we have, first point we have, to, we have to raise here is that the first time we have a recorded question of someone asking, right, why do bad things happen to people, is Moses asking God. Moses says to God, why are such terrible things befalling the great Rabbi Kiva? Someone who's legitimate in Moses' eyes could have been the could have been Moses, could have been the one who gave the Jewish, Jewish people the Torah. And he says because. And so, so that's question number one. But and God, what, what kind of answer is that? Don't ask questions. Silence. It's a legitimate question. It's just, you know, don't you think? He could have just said because. Because I said so. But... Why did he say Basically silence? What he said. Yeah. Well, no, 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 that's what it is. Silence. Don't ask questions. You know, just it's not. What kind of answer is that? Moses seems to be asking a very legitimate question, and God is not necessarily responding to the question. He's saying, "Don't ask questions." So it was deemed in my mind. Because, because, all of the answer, right? silence, but then he says, "So it was deemed in my mind." Okay, so uh, we have to. Uh, okay, I agree with you. But the, the question is there. The question is still, uh, what kind of answer is that? And lastly, um, this is Ben's question. We also see God getting angry. Huh? We see God getting angry. Angry. Well, Remember, that's, uh, in the original or that's mine. Uh, that's mine. Moses, you were getting angry. <laughs> Moses doesn't know what, anything about Rabbi Akiva, right? Rabbi well, Akiva comes 1,400 years later, but. It seems like most so, most so, of the prophet, probably the timeline. But his students were killed because supposedly they, they didn't, they didn't care about, they didn't respect each other. So, I, I mean, I don't know if he knows the whole big picture. Well, he might be this great scholar, but like his students. Well, then God should have said, you know what, Rabbi Kiva, you think it was great? It really wasn't all that great. Maybe that's the response. It doesn't seem like it's a legitimate. I think it's a legitimate question. And what kind of answer is that? So you say it is an answer. Okay. So what's what kind of answer is that? And last thing, another, another question, another important question. I think that we could ask from the source is if you look at the first question that Moses, Moses asks, show me. You showed me his Torah. Now show me his reward. What does God show you? Him being flayed alive. No, no, no. That's not his reward. That's maybe his punishment. Maybe. Yeah. He deserves to be punished. Ask what, for a reward. What can, a, what can a rabbi do to deserve that? No, it, it's, but that's the, that's the, who not, that's not an answer to the question. It's it's an answer maybe to a different question. I asked for Rabbi Akiva's reward, and would you show me Rabbi Akiva being flayed? Wait a minute, is that reward? Would anyone argue that's reward? Maybe he didn't understand his accent. He's like, oh, you're writing songs. No, no, I'm writing sheens. <laughs> so these are legitimate questions. So just the, 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 we have the source, we have uh, various problems with the source, and we have, we have two fundamental problems. Problem number one is Moses asks, "Why do bad things happen to good people?" 
God says, quiet, so it was deemed in my mind. That's the response. Kach Allah b'machshavu l'fonai. That's what it means. Question number one, what kind of answer is that? Question number two is Moses, uh, Moses asked, show me his reward, and he showed us, he showed us not something which clearly is not a reward. Clearly. Let's move on to source number two. Maybe this will clarify it, or maybe this will make it even more difficult. Uh, this is from Brachos. Brachos is the very first of the 63 books of the Mishnah. And Brachos talks about Brachos, Brachot, blessings, all the various blessings. How many blessings do we have before we consume foods? Anyone wants to venture a guess? How many different kinds of blessings? Huh? No, it's yeah. six. Very close. We have blessings for fruits, for vegetables. One, two. Bread, hamotzi, wine, burpeh, gafen. Don't you remember saying Dairy. Shahakol. And mezonot. Okay, so we have bore pri hadama for vegetables, bore pri ha'etz for trees, right? For, for fruits. A hamotzi, we all know the hamotzi for bread, bread only exclusively. Bore pre hagafen for wine. Bore mine mizonot for all kinds of grain based foods that are not bread. And included with that would be uh, like rice and stuff like that. And lastly, is gluten included in that? Huh? Isn't gluten part of the uh, part of the part of the grain? So if you eat straight up gluten. And we give a blessing for that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> if it's gluten-free. No, it's it's still grain. I think I think gluten is part of the kernel. Yeah. Gluten is part of the uh, of the wheat kernel. Part of the nucleus of the yeah. right? Anyhow, and the last one is shahakol. Shahakol is for drinks, for eggs, for milk, for anything which is uh, uh which is not uh, of the uh, so uh, uh, poultry, fish, meat, all that is shahakol. So that's the book of Brachos, that's what it talks about. And in it, we have once again another dialogue asking the same question, what about these other good people? And who is part of this dialogue? Who wants to guess? I don't, did not see the read the source yet. Wants to guess. Who are the two sides of the dialogue? You know who it is? It's Moses and God. and God. And the first question we have to ask is, Wait a minute. This question was asked before. Now we know when this was asked, right? The first one was asked when Moses goes up to heaven. Let's see if we can figure out from the context when the next one was asked. And Rabbi Yochanan said the name of Rabbi Yossi. So that's the, you know, it's attributed. The Talmud always attributes the, the lesson to who taught it. Three things Moses asked from the Almighty and he gave him. So there's three questions. Questions Moses Moses asked God and God responded. So I only I, I took out if you notice the three guys I took out a little bit because I only wanted to pull the things that are pertinent to us our discussion. And he asked to know the ways of God and God responded to him as Scripture states Exodus thirty three inform me of your ways right. It's uh, chapter thirty three I think it's uh, verse seventeen. Tell me your ways. So what, did Moses, what was Moses asking? Moses said to God, why is there a righteous person and it is good for him? A righteous person and it is bad for him. 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Same question that was asked before. A wicked person that is good for him and a wicked person that is bad for him. Moses is asking the same question. It's a little expanded, but the same question is like, how come we see that there's righteous people and everything's good for them? Yet there's other righteous people, good people, and bad things are happening to them. That's the question we asked a little bit earlier. And then the flip side as well. How come wicked people, there's sometimes, sometimes you see a wicked person that's good for them, and a wicked person is bad for them. So what does God respond? God responds as follows. A righteous person, and it is good for him, that's a completely righteous person. If you see a righteous person who everything goes well for them, you know that they're completely righteous. Okay. A righteous person, and it is bad for him, that's only a partially righteous person. Oh. Uh, a wicked person and it is good for him, that's a partially wicked person, not entirely wicked. And a wicked person and it is bad for him, a completely, that should say wicked, I apologize, <laughs> a completely wicked person. Okay? That's the source. Now, yes, let's try to uh, decipher this. Go uh, ahead. Go ahead. What Lord. I see here yes. is in these two uh, partials, yes, that. Uh, uh, I almost forgot my point. Just a moment. Okay, that 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 looks like it was the origin for the uh, uh, short statement. Don't mix in. What do you mean? The first one? Well, this one and this one. Well, looks, this, this seems looks, like a very looks, developed look, answer. Looks like looks like God answered the question with the same question. Okay, why is that? Why? Yeah, because don't mix in. No, but God's God's telling you a very detailed answer. It seems like God's saying you said there's four kinds of people: two righteous, two wicked. One one righteous and is good. One righteous and is bad for them. One wicked and is good. One wicked is bad for them. Four kinds of people. Was after was the reason for this? Why is there such a contradiction between these types of people? That why is it why that a good person? Have bad things happen to him. That's what that's and the question. And why does bad person have good things happen to him? Another part of the question. So don't mix in. No, but God responds to him. Look. Okay. No. If, if, yeah, if you say so. Well, let's let's try to figure out what it, it says. God responded. So you know, in, in law, there's always a thing about intent. Like mm-hmm. you, you know, if you murder someone, did you have intent to murder that person, and so on. So if a person, it says that a person who is a wicked person who does something has something good for him is partially wicked. But it seemed like to me that when the wicked person something good happens to them, they're still wicked. They're not. It's like why partial? It's like they're, they're, they're intent was to do something bad. Well, they maybe they have some so good. They should still be. But was that good? Okay, you're, you're asking an advanced question. Let's try to figure out the baseline. What is it saying here? Okay. Yeah. How can that person be entirely? Wicked. That's a that's a um I think that's a good question. Well, the, well, the, well, let's let's just say what what all the commentators say here. Moses, I mean, even Moses, right? Made mistakes, made mistakes, but God, you're born with a godly soul. Yeah. So how can you be? Whoa, that's an assumption. I don't agree with that assumption. Um, which which one of those three? I'm sorry. A wicked person. Yes, that's a partially wicked person. So, Not completely wicked. Yeah, I know. That's, that's what I'm saying. Is 
might do the same actions as a righteous person, but for him it's for himself. So you're saying it's about intent. Yeah. So uh, it, this, the, 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 I don't want to try to qualify what what made someone. I'll just say what the comment. All the commentators explain this in the same vein. No, no. This is the, I mean, there's no, there's almost no, no no one's treating this with uh, with with any ambiguity. What it, what it seems to be saying here. Let's expand this. Well, what does this mean? Right. Now, um, this means as follows: If you accept, this is the way I like to explain it. If you accept the premise of God. What are you really accepting? You're accepting as follows. You're accepting the fact that this was all by design. Right? And also there's purpose. All right? That's what you're accepting. Because if God did this all, there must be a reason for it. Right? And the fact that our actions, we have choice in the matter, right? Therefore, our actions have to have consequences, because if they don't have consequences, then it doesn't matter. God wants it to matter, you know. So therefore, um, the second you accept the idea of God, you accept that there has to be purpose. Thus, our actions, if they're good, there is a positive. It's, it's, God cares about it, you know. And if they're bad, then God, you know, is upset about that. And there's consequences for good and bad. So the, this is my, my mind does this mathematics. Says if you accept God, you have to accept the idea of reward and punishment. Right, because otherwise, it, 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 God cannot exist in a world where like, the proverbial Hitler and Mother Teresa are in the same place. It can't be, right? If God's keeping keeping an account, it's got to be that things are balanced. You know, it's got to be that if you do good, well, then God recognizes that. God notices that. God doesn't ignore that. Right? It has meaning. There's purpose. Uh, if God, you know, if, if you know, and if you don't, if you do bad, well, that also has meaning. It also has purpose and has repercussions. That is a baseline for understanding, um, for, for accepting if you accept God. Now, where is this accounting? We know that Hitler, there's no way that Hitler uh, paid for his, uh, his evil in this world. You know, he killed himself, but he also killed, along with that, 6 million Jews and 55 million people in total. You know, there's one man responsible. Literally, there's one man responsible. It's uh, the argument that, you know, the great philosophical argument that history happens in trends that are bound to happen and are inevitable. It's clearly disproven by the Holocaust and the World War II. You know, just this traumatic, catastrophic event is the work of one man. Is there any way that in this world there could be an accounting for it? Absolutely not. There's no way. Thus, if we accept the idea of God, by definition, we accept that there has to be some other place where reward and punishment is dispensed. That's the mathematics. Now, the Torah itself talks about this in multiple places. Multiple places it talks about this existence of some other world. As to the details, we don't really know so much. In fact, Maimonides has a treatise uh, on reward and punishment, and he brings down five different opinions as to what this means, or where this place is, and how is it reflected. Now he comes up with he he says the, he 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 lays it down as Maimonides is, you know does he tells you what he thinks and that kind of silences and and, and after that kind of silenced any uh, any uh, you know no one argues on Maimonides with regards to philosophy nobody um, very, very by the way if you need to get your hands on that um, this I saw some decent translations of it in English Maimonides' treatise on reward and punishment it's a fantastic read fantastic very interesting. 
um, um, very, you know, you see how he builds the issue and, you know, it's just incredible. Um, so, so we have this idea of, of reward and punishment. And we also have the idea of an, an alternative world where reward and punishment is, is, is uh, meted out. Now, this is the, that's point number one. Point number two is the, what I call the, uh, the peso-dollar exchange rate point. If I stop you guys while you're driving, you know, 77 miles an hour, I said, listen, let me give you a ticket, 100. But you have the option of paying pesos or pesos or dollars. I don't know what the exchange rate is, but I think we would all choose to pay in. In pesos, right? But why? Because it's worth less. You know, if someone told you, you're going to pay 100 rupees. Okay, it's four cents. <laughs> I'll take it. You know, uh, you know, if, um, um, right, so, so, so the point number two is that everything in this other world, my mind calls it a spiritual world, a world of soul, is expanded. Olam right? Abba. It's very good. That, that's what's called Olam Abba. Uh, and that is the dollars. Therefore, everyone, if someone is completely righteous, let's say someone never did a single sin, has nothing to account for, well, then he has a great in this world and the next world. The righteous person who's bad for him in this world, partially righteous person. What does it mean partially righteous? Partially, partially righteous, but not completely righteous. Therefore, there's something that he has to get accounted for. Where is he going to get this accounted for? In this world. In this world. That's the answer. As opposed to, and the wicked person, if someone's entirely wicked, well, then he gets it in this world and the next world. Yeah, if someone does only wicked, which is not possible, really. But what if someone who's a collection? You know, some good and a lot of evil. Well, you have to have a, an accounting for your good. You have to be, because remember, God's fear even to, the, even to the wicked people. It has to be like that. Otherwise, you can't accept the idea of God. There has to be an accounting. And there, has to, people out, there has to be meaning and purpose behind everyone's actions. Thus, even someone who's wicked, if they do anything that's good, they have to get that paid. Where do they get that paid? In pesos. In pesos. Uh, in this world. In this world. Therefore, what about the punishment? Well, that's the right? So he, so gets he gets paid. He gets fined in dollars. In he gets paid in pesos and gets fined Everything in dollars. Everything is better in Olam So the but wicked the, person gets punished, gets the reward here, but gets punished here. Right. So and he gets paid in pesos. Partially, and I like partially righteous, righteous person gets the bad thing here. So he doesn't, get, thing so he doesn't get the punishment in the world to come, which would okay. be worse. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it's saying. Now, uh, I want to. If you look at source number three, this is an example of this, um, where the Talmud assumes this is being true. This is from Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is the book of jurisprudence. Uh, it talks about laws and how to assemble a court and what kind of courts you need for what kind of assemble uh, of what kind of you know the civil law, the criminal law, and then there's national law and uh, who's a good judge and who's a good witness and how do we interrogate the witnesses and what kind of uh, methods of execution does a court have in uh, during a time where execution was, you know, etc., etc. So it tells the story of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer was the rabbi, the teacher of Rabbi Akiva. So when Rabbi was sick, his students came to visit him. Oh, your rabbi's sick? You go visit him. And what Rabbi Eliezer said, there's a great fury in this world, which means that he's being punished terribly. He was suffering from a very terrible illness, and he was telling them that there's God, his God is Punish me. There's so much fury in this world. 
the students began to cry. You see, you see your teacher, the great scholar Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer, he's writhing in pain. They, they start crying. What does Rabbi Akiva do? He starts laughing. So they say to him, dude, you laughing? What's going on with you? What's wrong with you? Why are you laughing? So he says back to them, well, why are you guys crying? So they said to him, is it possible that a Torah scroll is in pain and we will not cry? You see Rabbi Eliezer, he's just Torah, straight up Torah. And he's, he's suffering. How can we not cry? So he said to them, that is precisely why I'm laughing. Why? For all the time I saw our teacher's wine not ferment, his flats not smitten, and his oil not spoil, I said, perhaps God, perhaps God forbid, our teacher received his reward in this world. Now that I see him in pain, I'm happy. I'm happy that Rabbi Lezer, he also was not, he was partially righteous. Therefore, I never saw in my life anything wrong happening to him. He never had a single bit of punishment. Never. Now he got a little bit, I know for sure that his portion of the world to come is intact. I'm delighted. And the Gemara there continues, by the way, uh, um, by saying that, the Gemara continues there by saying that um, Rabbi Eliezer says to him, wait a minute, uh, I sinned? So he says, yeah, you sinned. In fact, you taught us, Ein sadit asher there's no righteous person in the world who does good and doesn't sin. Therefore, you yourself said that everyone sins, and you sin, and you have, to give a, you have to pay for that. And we're so delighted, I'm laughing, I'm delighted that you got the pain in this world. So that's the idea. It seems like source number two and three explain to us a philosophy, an attitude, as to why bad things happen to good people. The answer is punishment. Punishment for what? For misdeeds. What misdeeds? You're a righteous person? Well, you're only partially righteous, you're not completely righteous. Right? If you're completely righteous, nothing bad would ever happen to you. But you're partially righteous. You have some things you need to be held accountable for. And therefore, you get punished. And it's a, and it's a good thing for you to get punished in this world. That's the idea. It still doesn't account for Holocaust. That's another two question. It doesn't count for Holocaust. It doesn't count for children. For being free to life. Okay. Well, 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 well yes. Yeah, so because in the Holocaust, it's, you had, it's you abroad. had it's some a, who, were, who were tortured over long yeah. periods of time. And there were others who were shot dead. Well, yeah, but that itself is not enough of a question to bother me. You could have asked a better question. I could have. Yeah. <laughs> I chose I'll, not to. I'll, 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 so I'll ask you an better question. It seems, if you look at the Holocaust, it's clearly a national event, basically. It's not individual. This is clearly talking about the individual who's suffering. The righteous individual who's suffering. What yours is really, I... I um, so I, as have, a, as I, have, people, I have, I have, I have, yes, it's, it, 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 it was a national punishment. How okay. national? That's a separate question. Remember this. I, I, there's, I, I, I wrote down eight different kinds of elements, aspects of this question. You know, we're dealing with one of them. Why do bad things happen to good people, individuals? There's a national element. There's the uh, question of, uh, sometimes you see a, a theme in Jewish sources where we talk about someone getting punished but just as a means to spur them to repent. Um, I made a list of eight, eight of themes. I'm trying to remember what I wrote. I have written down. So I'm going to check that. So yes. Uh, oh, children. That's another one. Like you see child. Child doesn't do anything. You know, small child. You know, not old enough to, to, to do any evil. Like we know a child doesn't get, you, you, you don't, you know, the the you don't start being held being held accountable for your actions until you're bar mitzvah. So if you see tragedy happen, it's terrible. You know, it's a, it's a good question. Also, it's addressed by the sources, but that's a different question than what we're asking today. Also, the 
That's I mean, a good question. For me, it's all individual. I mean, the guy that somebody's doing medical experimentation, he cannot tell him, no, 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 this is not an individual thing. It's a, it's a national thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's the very, question is very personal. It's very personal <laughs> for him. I mean, um, offering I, is very personal. I, I, I agree with that. And, but I would say if you talk about the Holocaust, we have to address it in different terms than... Um, now, I, I want to just let, 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 let me zoom out and tell you why I'm saying what I'm saying. The Talmud um, elsewhere talks about the great, horrible misfortune that, be, that befalls someone who sticks his hand into his pocket and wants to pull out a nickel and then pulls out a dime. Terrible! What suffering? Obviously, I'm being yeah. um, facetious, right? But the Talmud talks oh, about that. that. You? I understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, what the Talmud is saying is that the fact that bad things happen to good people, it's not necessarily something so, you know, uh, existential to, to, you know, illness or, or tragedy or, you know, it, it seems, you know, even philosophically, if someone says, hey, I'll, let me pull out a nickel, it's like, oh, no, that's not a nickel, it's this pocket. Well, that's a little bit of a frustration. It's not very big, obviously. But philosophically, you have the same question. It doesn't matter. The scale doesn't matter philosophically. If there's a problem, if there's a conflict between a righteous God who does only good and some sort of injustice, some sort of bad, it doesn't matter if it's just frustration of stubbing your toe or reaching out for a quarter or, or something terrible. So are you it's, saying that in God's eyes, the Holocaust... No, no, no. No, 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 I didn't say that. I was saying... That philosophically, the problem of the Holocaust and the problem of someone's up in the toe are both real problems. Of course, you can't compare them. I'm trying to say that. This is where you go awry, by the way. This is what we meant, by the way. This discussion is exactly what I meant when I gave that disclaimer at the beginning that this could go bad. Of course not. No one could, no one, no one could say that. Yeah, that, that, that was not my intention. My point is, is that even something as trivial as... Any form of misfortune, right? If God's in control, well, you have to, you know, you have the same question. That's my point. So, yes. Um, I, but I think that, um, that uh, something that's national can be classified a little bit differently because their sources talk about how, let's say, exile, you know, exile is, is national. It's talk about the, the Babylonian exile and the terrible... Um, just, you know, being uprooted from your land and sent a thousand miles east. You know, it's a terrible thing. And, but it's spoken about a nation being treated as a separate entity than a collection of individuals. Well, the, the thing about the Nazis are that what they planned to do with the Jews was done systematically. Mm-hmm. Step by step. In, in the year 1923, a man in a prison in Germany named... Adolf Hitler wrote this book, Mein Kampf, which was published in many, many different languages and turned out to be, once he came into power, the handbook for the way the various people, Jews, Gypsies, Romans, uh, the Roman uh, Gypsies, and so forth, were, were to be treated and gotten rid of. And uh, I just read, uh, I think it was yesterday, that there is a new edition 
Yeah, it's just pub- the publishing in Germany after the first time in seven years. It's being published. The publishing might come. It's, it's uh, much longer than the original. And it is no, not a handbook for, for maltreatment of, of people or peoples, but a, an academic uh, attempt to explain how it all came about and so forth. It's actually, um, I, I've, I've seen a copy of it in English. It's, today's generation is not going to scoop it up. It's not riveting at all. It's very long and very, you know, deliberate and very boring. I don't think it's going to make sure it's inroads in, uh, in uh, literature. Okay, from a, from a national, from a national perspective, let's bring in modern day. Okay. Okay. So... Let's I know, no, no. I just, I didn't want to go down this avenue. No, so let's, 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 let's go. Let's go. So we've got. So the Try United to, States, yes, now has all these enemies that want to kill Americans. But as as a nation, we're not a collective body religiously or even ideologically necessarily. We're just we're a melting pot, a, a true melting pot. So how do you how do you put the United States into a national collective? I mean, we're the target. Not me, not you, not him. All of us. We're the target. Right. Let me follow up. I think I think that's a valid point because we you could be targeted because you're a Jew, right? Nobody knows you, but the Nazis will come after you and then they will target you. Now for them you are a collective kind of thing. Just pick one and then you feel that. But for that person, very personal. He suffers. So this not, is the same question that you asked uh, how ago. And that is that <laughs> what's the deal with uh, a collective, which seems to be, you know, indiscriminate uh, suffering? And, and how, does that, uh, how does that jive with the individual supervision? That's a good question. Well, and, I mean, in holidays, right? He decides individually, right? Who will live, who will die? Who will... 100%. 100%. I agree with you 100%. You know, this, these questions are discussed. You have a Tamil that says, which means, once, um, once there is permission granted to the decimator to destroy, he doesn't distinguish between righteous and wicked. This is obviously another, these are big philosophical problems. But what's clear uh, off the get-go is that there's some sort of state or some sort of reality where in this, or where the door's open, at least, for the interpretation of it being distributed punishment. And that's obviously a problem, but that's the question is how do we understand that? Uh, I, I don't think that's, that's what it's talking about. And this, here's some individuals saying, Rabbi Akiva, why is he suffering? And why is just the generic question Moses says to God, righteous person, you know, why bad things have been happening to good people? It's talking about the individual. I, I, I do believe that there's a, but like I said, we, the fact that they're not treated as, as individuals, we have the, the, the Talmud talking about the, the uh, minister, Saro Shal Esav, the minister of Esav, where every, every nation has their own minister. There's a certain spiritual entity that, uh, that uh, distinguishes, let's say, the, the Greeks from the Assyrians, from the Babylonians, from the Persians. Each one of them are treated mm-hmm. as a, as a, as a, as of course, it's a collection of individuals, but for uh, um, but for certain uh, 
for certain, I guess, aspects, they're treated as a nation, as a single entity. Our nation, the Jewish people, you know, we're described in many places in Jewish literature as an, as a single entity. Uh, it says that if you uh, if you do revenge, what's revenge like? It gives a great illustration. It says you, some guys are taking a sickle. We don't know what a sickle is. because going to grow up in the farm. Uh, but a sickle is this really yeah, sharp. A shackle, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to have a weird list. But yeah. <laughs> pronunciation. <laughs> <You> foreigners. <laughs> so uh, a sickle is this, uh, is this knife that is used to cut grain. So it says that this guy was cutting with grain with his right arm. And his... Right. You have a sickle? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, with two hands, that's a scythe. Oh, oh okay. The no, sickle is the sickle is one hand. Where you grab it. You do that. Yeah. yeah. So I then you wrap it around and you do like that. Right? The Russian flag. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, so, so the sickle, a guy is using a sickle and he's cutting grain and he cuts off his right hand. His right hand cuts off his left hand. Left hand's on the floor. Terrible. Left hand goes, picks up the sickle and cuts off the right hand. Is revenge. That's where revenge. That's how in Jewish literature revenge is described. Because it's, it's your one entity. The, the entire nation is one entity. So, you know, it's terrible disaster. Something bad happened to you. Well, you're going to do something bad, which is make it even worse. I don't think only the power of a Jewish wife would be able to do something. <laughs> Either way, the point is, is that there is a, a significant precedent for this idea, at least, as a nation being treated as a nation. As, so, as an but I, I have to go back a second, because yeah. you said when the decimator gets permission. To decimate, yeah. Who gives the decimator position? permission? Uh, it seems like on the most simple on the it's most simple understanding, it seems what it seems like is that God is saying, I'm out. I'm giving the this power, decimator. We don't know what the power is, it's mashchis, it means a decimator. I don't know what power that is. And there's a certain influence, a certain power that God grants to a certain entity to just, you know, do whatever they so want. So then we're right back to where we started from. No. How would God do such a thing? That's another question. I'm saying it's a, it's a, but I think it's a separate entity. It's not this. God is means that's the time where God's saying, "I'm not, I'm, I'm out." So okay, so but part of the way God treats his subjects is that sometimes under certain circumstances, what are those circumstances? We don't know. Um, maybe because we haven't investigated it. That's not what we put the sources for. But that is not based upon someone's action and inaction. Clearly. It's saying we're not, we don't make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. So these are the same words. Here we are making a distinction. That's my point. The point is, is this is directed. That is not directed, seems like. Why would that happen? That's your question. That's a different question. But the fact that it's different is by design. And it says it itself. It doesn't make a distinction between someone's, uh, between righteous and, and the wicked. Here it does make a distinction. Clearly. It makes a distinction. So this is, this is, seems like it's an easier thing to talk about. Because here there's a, there's a rationale, there's an explanation for it. And it's saying that when someone is uh, a righteous person who is punished, that uh, or they, bad things happen to them, that is because they're not completely righteous. Well, what do you mean? Even Rabbi Eliezer is someone not completely righteous. You would argue, even Rabbi Akiva. It doesn't matter how great you are. If you're not completely perfect, right, devoid of any sin or any misdeed whatsoever, then you have to have an accounting for that. And where do you want that accounting in this world? Yes. Is, is there... Is there any more discussion on that, the disparity on the value, so to speak? You're, you're, you're saying pesos and dollars, <clears throat> but in the frame of reference from this world or that world, it, what, what if the difference in that value, so to speak, is that of the 
grain of sand and a diamond, not a peso and a dollar. So oh, I think it's so, a lot more than that. So, so when we look at something and go, well, he stubbed his toe and, and he got skinned alive, I mean, you can't compare the two, but in your, in, if you're in the other world, you look at it from that frame of reference, it's like, well, it was one grain of sand or five grains of sand. It's like, right. That's what I'm saying. Diamond. The Holocaust exactly. is like stubbing your toe to die. But we, we, no one ever said that. So, is, but is, I'm being is, misquoted. <laughs> and I no, deliberately. Is, is, there, is there more discussion? Yes. I'll quote you. Ready? Let's give you a quote. It's the same analogy. He's saying. Yafasha Achas. Olam Abad. Olam Abad. Ta-da! Uh, Drops oh. the mic. What did you say? <laughs> it means it's better. Well, I'll explain. I'll give you the entire the entire Mishnah. This is a Mishnah in the chapters of the Fathers. It's better to have one second in Olam Haba, the next world, more than all of Olam Hazeh. If you were to take every single pleasure possible and just put it on top of each other, compile a mountain the size of Mount Kilimanjaro, of all the pleasures of the world combined, all of, all, for hundreds of years, that wouldn't equal a single second of pleasure level. So it's saying is that there really isn't a frame of reference. There isn't this exchange rate. There isn't this interface. Because there's how many seconds? Like one, ten, one times ten to the seventeenth seconds in the universe or something like that? Well, well, it depends on the theory, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just shaved one point, what was it, 1.6 billion years off the, uh, it went from 15.4 to 13.8. So that number changed dramatically. Or it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it changed dramatically in the 60s when scientists believed that there was no beginning. That's right. To... And uh, it's the time when scientists finally agreed to the first word of the Torah. <laughs> Take them a while. We were on the, we were there already, you know, thirty three hundred years ago. Welcome aboard. Yeah, we knew. Okay, um, so let's uh, so let's get back to the sources. Okay, so I, like I said, uh, yeah, there isn't. I agree. I, th- I think I think you're one hundred percent right. That, uh, but I think that when from our perspective, obviously, there is a great difference. The difference yeah. For sure, um, you know, we're so zoomed in. Obviously, let's try to ask a few more questions, Jeff. Go ahead. So. I think the, the original question was like, why do bad things happen to good people? And, and, when, and, when, when that, and that, to me, that question. I know. I, I think. I think to just just to provide from myself here for any further attacks, I would say, <laughs> what is this theme from these sources as to answer this, uh, you know, deep and troubling question? Yes, and I believe there's other answers. Like I said, this is there's, there's other sources that were not quoted. Yes, but um, so if. The way the question, why do bad things happen to good people, to me, I, I infer from that that bad things don't necessarily happen to bad people. Who said that? No, no, that, no that's a narrower question, like we said, but the well, question was expanded. If someone, if the police find, arrest somebody on suspicion of committing a possible crime, and the person says, I plead the fifth, that doesn't mean, I mean, they, they're not saying anything. So they, that means they, they either committed it, they either committed the crime or they okay. didn't commit it, but a good chance they might have possibly committed the crime. Because, I mean, if you didn't commit the crime, you should So say, what's your point? My point is that by not saying that, that, by not saying bad things happen to bad people, that, I mean, it just seems like to me that, you know, like, I mean, if you... By not saying what? By not, by not saying question. bad things happen to bad people. Mm-hmm. So, wait, I mean, I don't know, I, I guess it's like, it seems like. I think I heard this. Um, 
the question is based upon a certain framework. Let's just uh, let's but, just build this out here. Like we have a bunch of engineers here, right? Can I skip it? Yes, go ahead. My next part of the question is that when you say like you know Rabbi Eliezer was he was he, in general he might have been a good person, but he was he was sick because he was punished for something else that he'd done. So that's what the Talmud says. Yes, that's right. Yes. So I guess this goes back to maybe scale or whatever, is that, you know, if, okay, um, if, um, thanks me all the time. <laughs> if the, um, come back to me, come back to me. Okay. okay. I have something out there, maybe we'll help you formulate it. So, so you're saying that suffering is inevitable? No, I didn't say that. Okay, Once again, I didn't say that. What I said is... For the, partially, for the partially for righteous. No, no, no. <laughs> if you're wicked, then you... No. If you're wicked, it says... No, no, no. What I said is that the, what's inevitable is, is that our actions have reactions. That's what I said. That's what I said, right? I said that, um, that there's consequences for our actions, good and bad. Yeah, where the consequences are, that that could be either in this world or in some other world. I don't find. No, I don't find. He's pulling a Clinton. I don't find understand what you're saying. Well, like, I mean, if you do bad things, then something bad will happen in this world. You do good things. No, no, not well, necessarily. You can do this world, the next world. You'll do, you'll you get do something all the fine. Something bad's going to happen to you. It might happen here. It might happen there. That's what I said. That's right. Depends. If you're, if you're generally going, righteous, it'll happen here probably, right? If you're so you can get it over. If you're generally wicked, it'll probably happen some other place. And you would rather be righteous than have it here. That, that's that's why I said. Let let, let let's yes. Something. Go ahead. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give, give an example that that might hopefully <laughs> get my question point. So let's say you have two employees. One of one of one employee who's you know he has to have let's say three jobs to you know feed his family and whatever. And he's a good employee. Works hard. Does a good job, etc. And then you have the other employee who... You're, you're, you're assuming he's suffering. You're calling him suffering. Is that his suffering? No, he's just a good no, employee. No, no, no. He's oh. no, no, hard he's worker. Hard worker. Okay. Um, and the other employee is, you know, is doing the bare minimum to just keep his job, but he's, he, might, he might be stealing stuff from the office or doing whatever. And the, the good employee who has like three jobs that say he gets laid off because the economy is bad or whatever, so that's his punishment. In, in, but in general, he's a good person, and he can say he's being punished. He had done something bad before, but in, but the worst person, the more bad person, yeah, well, doesn't get punished. Well, also, it's important. It's the question, I feel like I should have maybe built this framework earlier. This, yeah. this, three, the, this question is based on three premises. Premise number one, God is a complete control and nothing happens without God's approval. Number one. Number two, God is just, God is fear, God is good, God is benevolent. And number three, injustice happens. That's really where the question lies. Those three elements, they can't all be true. If God is a complete control and God is completely just, and therefore there shouldn't be any injustice. Well, if you say, well, God's not in control, then it's all random. If it's all random, then anything can happen because it's random. The question is only a question once you assume that God exists and God is in control of everything, and nothing happens without God's uh, God, God allowing it to happen, and God's just and fair. 
those two assumptions we have as Jews. Thus, the problem exists when we see what seems to be injustice, i.e. good people, bad things happen to them. That's the question. So my point is, is that it's all from God's perspective. We're basically trying to say, okay, God, you see this guy, he's good, but you give him bad. What's up with that? That's injustice. That's, that's incongruent with, with what we understand of you. You're just, you're fear, you're benevolent, you're kind, you're good. And we see injustice happen. Why would Rabbi punish so much for the first time? Well, we don't know how many things he did. What we do know is that he, like everyone else, was a collection of good, predominantly good, but he also had a few sins. Who knows what those sins even were? We don't know. But he himself had declared previously that there's no righteous person who does only good and no bad. Thus, everyone, even the great, the great leaders, the greatest people that have ever lived, Moses, greatest person that has ever lived, Abraham, these are all people that have made mistakes as well. So, you know, so... So, so thus... There has to be, by the law, the law is the way the Almighty set it up, is that there has to be a certain, uh, a certain repercussions for that. So what, what, what the extent of his misdeeds, or what the nature of his misdeeds were, uh, we don't know. But we do know that there was some misdeeds, yes. So we do see some examples of that. We see stories where where people, as a result of what they seem they see and deem to be uh, unjust, they make that choice. But remember, there's lots of things in the world that are going to make people make bad decisions. The world is literally a temptation pot where the money throws us in, you know, and and we're constantly being faced uh, with decisions, and there are things that are pulling us away from God, and away from morality, and away from justice. So, so that's not unique. Of course, it's, and it is going to be a challenge. If someone says, oh gosh, how'd this happen? Where's God? Right? That essentially is another opportunity for them to choose. Just like when someone uh, is uh, in a situation where you know, they're I don't know, a married man, and they're in a situation where they're presented with maybe opportunity to be a little bit uh, you know, too friendly with some, you know, someone else. Huh? You have to think outside. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you just woke up. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but where does that come from? Someone can go, go astray. Of course someone could go astray, because that's what life is. Life is this, you know, you know, is this uh, sandbox where man is being. This is Lutzato, first page of Lutzato. Is that we're put in a world and we're thrown curveballs. Everything is trying to push us away from God, push us away towards immorality, and we have to fend them off. We have to win, you know. And that's what the great person is someone who wins the majority of his battles, or maybe even all of his battles. So, uh, in the way, these three things that cannot live together. There are two that can live together, but. Yes, either one you could uh, you could if you get rid of any one of those three premises. You, no, you're you're good one to go. injustice, the injustice in the world, right? That's the right. One that right. Remember, for, at the beginning we talked about this woman who asked the rabbi, "Where was God in the Holocaust?" He said, "Well, God wasn't there." 
So what he did is got rid of the first one. He says, well, that's not control. Or not control all the time. Correct. This is, this is the... Right. So this, this one of those the, three cannot the, be true. This that's is right. the leap of faith. That either you believe the, other, the first two, and then you say, I don't know the meaning of injustice. Or I have a wrong... Or, or it's not a leap. The question is, what, the, what, what do you understand? Right. If you assume the first two, right. then you say... Then the third one has to be... Of right. justice is wrong. That's right. What I perceive as injustice. That's right. Or and and, and, said, and, and the Talmud gives you somewhat of a framework to understand that. It's yeah. not injustice. It's just the ramifications for <clears> the misdeeds. <throat> and it's very good for them to pay pesos. Sure. This, is, this is where you... Where you <laughs> this is where you jump, right? So they pay in uh, rubles. <laughs> rubies. Uh, in the, thousands of rubies. In, uh, That's a very Jewish thing. Zimbabwean dollars. <laughs> Uh, no, but this is like defense, right? Where you hundreds jump... of trillions of dollars doesn't buy you a cup of coffee. Where? In Zimbabwe. Hundreds of trillions of dollars doesn't buy you anything. Such a fortune. Anyhow, sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> so, no, this is, this is where, where, you, where you stand. Either you stand on the first two or the other. You say you can right, right, you right. So this is explaining why that's not injustice. I want, I want, I want to bring this full circle. I have, I have a question. Yes, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. So in Brachot yes. 7 yes. they mentioned four types of people. Yes. Two, of them, two of them are imaginary. Two are... Well, uh, the, yes, theoretically, yes. Oh, no, 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 in practice. Theoretically, they are Well, we do have, we do have a, 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 at least a few people that there's no account of them ever sinning. Right? The Thomas said there's four people that never sinned. So yes, I'm saying, theoretically, I think it's uh, one of them was Amram, the father of Moses. One of them was one of King David's kids. Uh, one of them was Benjamin. Maybe. There's a few of them. I don't remember that. Those are the three. Maybe that was the fourth. So yes, it's a short list, but for all practical reasons. Really? Yes, yes, yes. I didn't know. Yeah. Well, there you go. You came and you learned something. That's what I came. They have completely righteous. Are there any accounting of completely wicked? Um, that's a good question. Um, pro- I assume probably not as well. You know, like someone said, someone said it's. Like someone Goliath. said we all come here as being hmm? pure. Goliath? I, I would um, say Aman, but... No, but the the truth is, is that every human has a soul. A, you know, a a, a a a totally spiritual soul. So to find someone who never, ever, 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 ever has that soul influence any of their actions is. Probably very far fetched. Haman was, was not completely wicked. I mean, he was no, very loyal. Nice I mean, he was loyal to his. Whatever. I, you're, you're right. So, so let's assume that two of them are, are, are most likely irrelevant. No, no, no. If you mention that there are three, three where, where, where are the sources that they say that these three people, were, four people, four people were. We could Google it. If you have. No, but it's, it's, it's Talmud. Oh, yeah. It's, is it a Talmud? It's, it, yes, it's, uh, it's either Talmud, it's one of the Midrashs. It's, it's an established source. It's not the. Uh, you're dubious about it, is that right? Well, I'm, uh, I mean, the, the the fact that we have these things is what allows us to go higher and so on. I mean, that we have to overcome sin. Yeah, but to overcome sin is a good thing. That's a, that's a that's why I'm saying. I mean, the, somebody so, but, that is so high spiritually that doesn't have any kind of thing to overcome. Who says no one to overcome? They have things to overcome, but they constantly f- they're successful in every one of their battles. Right, but I mean, the the big redemption of Exodus. 
was because mm-hmm. we were there that you actually. But that's remember, the, yeah. That that's, you go through the the the, the, the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but but I agree. Practically, it's only two of them are, are really relevant. I would agree one hundred percent. One question I'm not that familiar with. I guess you're checking balance with that next world. Yes. What, what is that? How does the men? How does it describe? Because you mentioned. I tell you how Imani describes it. Because you mentioned a finite time, so mm-hmm. you're like up there, like one second worth, you know, a lifetime over here. So is it? Is it a? Time so uh, there, well, there's a there's a few descriptions. Um, for example, uh, this is back to Chatti Brachos. Olam Abba. There's no Achila, no Shtia. Um, which means in Olam Haba, what it's called, the next world, there's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no uh, conjugal activities, it's just righteous people sitting and uh, uh, righteous, <laughs> righteous people sitting with their crowns on their heads and basking in the glory of God. That's one description. Maimonides calls it the Olam HaNeshamot. Olam Hanishamot, which means the world of souls. There's no, there's no body. So it's yes, it's 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 clear that it's very, very, very far beyond what we uh, what we could experience. In fact, the Talmud does say there's three things in this world. I gave an entire class about this. There's three things in this world that are a measure of the world to come. Three things. Shabbat is one. We just Shabbat we say Me'ed Olam Haba. There's something about Shabbat that has some sort of overlap with Olam Haba. Number two, chocolate. No. <laughs> Shemesh. Shemesh means sun. the sun. And the last thing is removing one's bowels. When I read this Talmud, it's in, this is in Brachos 57b. 57b. It's, a, it, it's all it says. Shlosham and once again, as a Talmud, the Talmud takes its lessons and buries it very, very, very deep beyond the veneer, the exterior, the surface. I spent literally months trying to understand this Talmud. And I have a, a whole class, well, we could do this class once, of what is up with this Talmud? What is going on? What's Olam Abba? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, is that right? Um, well, you don't have a body. At least not a physical body. Um, you don't eat, you don't drink. It's not a physical entity, but it's much deeper. You know, it's 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 spiritual, and that's it's it, it, there's much less limitations. So you might not have a call of duty server, but any kind of it's like, mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a halo. But, uh, so destiny. Are you, are you continually going to equilibrium going back? Because you mentioned, uh, you know, in this world and in that world, so you go back down, or how's that work? What happens after you die? That's also another whole one plus. So these, what happens? Okay, so oh. <laughs> it seems like uh, well, there's there's really four phases. Um, we have number one, Olam Hazed, this world. We have Olam Haba, next world. We have Yimot Mashiach, days of Mashiach, which seems to be in this world. We have Tchiyat HaMeitim, resuscitation of the dead. And there's another thing, wild card, La'atid Lavo in the future. Seems like there's a lot more planned. La'atid Lavo in the future. So, sorry, I said four, I meant five. 
uh, it seems like there's five different phases of existence um, that's, uh, that's all part of the plan. We're in one of them, what's called Alamazen, this world. Uh, there's something else called Next World. There's Days of Messiah. I think Days of Messiah is actually on planet Earth. What's on planet Earth? What's, you know, with physical entities, with bodies and souls and this kind of framework and um, this system that we have. Um, uh, then there's Alam Abba, we said. Alam Abba, some sort of deep, deep in the future and 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 uh, of the dead. What these mean in detail, Bamani talks about these details. Something called Gan Eden as well, which is called Loosely translated as paradise. Is that this world? Is that next world? What happens after you die? Where do you go? What does death mean, by the way, by definition? Who knows the definition of death? Which, which transfer of state? Manical definition? Ritual? No, what's the definition of death? Answer. Oh, that's good. Well, what happens to me? Your soul is no longer in your body. That's right. It's somewhere else. Separation of soul and body. That's all it is. Your soul is the software that's powering your body. It's like you pull out the software and suddenly when you have a brick, brick phone, right? If you want to root your phone, I'm sure it is. <laughs> so if you root your phone, you run the risk of bricking your phone and then it's all it is is a paperweight, right? So that's, that's a dead phone. Sorry, go ahead. When you sleep, your soul goes out. When you sleep, the Talmud says it's one-sixtieth of death. Because it's a, in some small way, one and a half percent, it's a measure of soul exiting body. The Talmud also says that there's 903 kinds of deaths. This separation of soul and body can happen in a very, very large uh, variety of ways. Um, going from, I don't get this, I mean, too sidetracked here. No, but I, I, We're very I, far I, away from our point I that I wanted to break. We're so clearly going to go until the 10 o'clock. No, well, God forbid. Yeah. If it's a midrash, God forbid for us to say we like this. It's so a mighty Torah. When people die, right, the body decomposes, and people that tend to be attached to their bodies in a very tight way, they take longer to decompose. Let me tell you what it says. I don't like it. I don't know what God forbid for us to say this portion of Torah is better than that portion. We don't know how to say that. It's one of the, Talmud itself says that if you say that, like, how can you say this? The Almighty's Torah. The Almighty's Torah. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, this I like, this I don't like. It's, it's, we don't have a decision. Like, it's not in our hands. What it does is like this. 900, there's 903 forms of death. The worst one is called Astra. Astra. What's Astra like? It's like separating wool that got entangled with thorns. Think of something wool and then got entangled with thorns. Think of a of a of a of a sheep that walked through a very thorny bush. Now there's thorns everywhere. You have to pull it out. You got to separate the thorns from the the thorns uh, from the from the wool. It's very difficult. We paint little little flecks of of wool are coming with it. Little pieces of thorn are staying in. It's very difficult to do that smoothly. That's the worst kind of death. The best kind of death is called the shika, which means uh, which means that to kiss. Okay, what that means is also well, is that I, we can talk about this also another, for another hour, uh, but that is comparable to pulling a hair out of a glass of milk. Very smooth, very painless, very wide. Like you said, if the soul and body are entrenched with each other, if the soul had become enmeshed into the body, if the agendas overlapped, if the body influenced the soul instead of the soul influencing the body, so there wasn't the harmony here, then. What happens if there was, you got to separate them? Ooh, it's not so easy, right? You know, 
you know, that could be it. That's one of the worst ways to die. Uh, or maybe the worst ways to die. That's, there's different levels. 903 levels. Why 903? All these things are discussed. As opposed to if someone, if someone is, 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 is if someone has a, a harmony uh, and equilibrium, like the word you used, uh, between their body and soul, where the soul um, influences the body, not vice versa, then uh, the separation is, uh, is, is much more mild. Thus, we have a sentence in the Talmud. For you guys, a little bone. Make a little, little more fun to chew on here. Yaakov Avinu Lomes. Jacob, our forefather, didn't die. This is from the book of Ta'anit 5. I think it's B. Maybe it's A. Uh, the book of Ta'anit, one of the 63 books of the Talmud, talks about fast days. We know that there's four minor and two major fast days. Yom Kippur, they have fasting. The Tisha B'Av, they have fasting. And four minor fast days. The book of the Talmud written about that. Yaakov didn't die. Wait a minute, Rabbi. Let's open up Genesis. And at the end of Genesis, chapter, what, 48 or 49? He died. It says he died. It says he died. What is the Talmud trying to say? What do you mean? I read the book. It says he died. The Talmud can't can't argue with the scripture. The answer is, is that when it says Yaakov it doesn't mean that he didn't, that he's still around. He's still one of us. He's masquerading. He's masquerading as, you know, some other dude. Assumed name, you know. No. Rather, (laughs) what it means is, is that what is defined as met Dying by the Talmudic standards of a not so pleasant separation of soul and body that he didn't experience. Of course, he's not here. Of course, the soul is not no longer. He was buried. We know we go to, we go to his burial place. They carried his, his bones to the Marat Machen, the Chevron. We go there today. His body and soul are not united. But the Talmud says he didn't die. That's not what death is typically. Death typically is a separation of soul and body that's not. Uh, as smooth as what so happened. he just got to step out. Yeah. My grandfather described it as he took off his flesh garments. Like a, sorry, his pants. They mentioned pants made out of flesh. He just took it off. No big deal. Right. So that's what he did. He, you know, the, the soul and body were indeed separated. That's not called death. You know, because most people don't experience that. So that's the, that's the little, little tidbit. I don't, I, I don't like to put a damper on this conversation, but I've got to say that in the 90 and a half years that I've been around in this world, uh, I have never come to the conclusion that there is an olam haba in my case. I believe, and I've been carrying out my entire life with the thoughts that what I think and what I do is remembered by those people with whom I've been associated over the years. And if I've done a good job in my life, uh, they're going to remember that, and perhaps I'll have some influence on how they they uh, enact their lives as well. But insofar as the three premises we talked about before, uh, my own belief over the years has been that God is not to be characterized as a person. Oh, no. <laughs> that you can walk up to and ask a question of. 
He is a mighty, mighty force that has tremendous amount of intellectual capabilities. He has the power to oversee everything that goes on in these worlds and in the universe. And he is, as characterized in the Birkat HaMazon, Rahman, the person with an infinite amount with of pity. Not, not person, entity. Entity. I use the word person erroneously, sorry. Entity, Corporations entity are correct. people too. Uh, and his intellectual intellectual capability well but that's the anthropomorphic are such that he has an infinite amount of patience and an infinite amount of time because to go around and looking over every one of the individuals under his control and to be able to assess in a uh, mathematical or uh, voluminous way, the good versus the bad in each individual. That I believe that the premise that was uh, undertaken here in these uh, treatises uh, believe that the reason why he doesn't like to share the the uh, answer to those questions of why do good things happen to bad people is because it's too complicated, and he, he doesn't really want to take away from his overall time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet, he has the intellectual capacity to be able to determine whether there's enough good and enough bad to uh, measure what's going to be happening to that individual at the end of his life here. So, um, if I may interject, you started off by saying that um, you didn't live your life with the premise that there is some other world. But now you seem to be saying there is. Can you speak well, yeah. I'm sorry. You started off saying that there uh, that you're not, uh, you haven't lived any of your 90 and a half years under the uh, assumption that there is an additional world. But now you seem to say that there is indeed. No, I, I, I never believed that there was a, an Olam in my case. In your individual case? No, no, I, uh, I, I don't. Okay, but the, the Torah uh, does talk about it. I know, it talk, they talk about it, but I don't know it's, where it comes and, from. And, but it Except has to that, make sense. That, that the Torah is written logical. by a bunch of rabbis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're getting too dangerous. Oh, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> we had a good, good vivid imagination in a lot of, a lot of cases. <laughs> well. Wait, I have a question that goes back to this topic. So, how do you determine, I guess, what's considered a problem versus what's just considered a challenge? Okay, so um, I, I feel like I want to address a few things here. Um, exactly you have another couple hours? Yeah. <laughs> um, I. I uh, um, I, 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 you are just saying two things. I, I think I always say it like this. I think that sometimes, sometimes what we when we proverbially stub our toe, it's a form of punishment, and sometimes it's a f- form of awakening. And sometimes the bad things that happen to us are just to settle the score, so to speak. In, the, in like in like in the way in the in the case of Rabbi Hiv and Rabbi Lezer, seems like. Um, 
settle the score of this world. While other play, other times it's to it's a challenge, like you said. It's like it's 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 a form of trying to uh, improve. You know, it's an opportunity to, uh, to 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 improve, and it's a it's a um, you know, it's it's an awakening. It's 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 to spur someone on to to repent on their ways. But with regards to what you said, if I may, um, the first of all, Maimonides, when he does uh, the the great philosopher and the great halachist and the great Jewish leader, um, Rabbi Moshe Maimon, he does uh, when he in, when he uh, recounts his thirteen principles of faith. One of them is what you said: God's not a body; God doesn't have any parts. Which obviously raises the question, the anthropomorphic yeah, question, yeah. and he, and, you know, he, he, he writes the language of people. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then, but four of them talk about uh, afterlife, some other life. So uh, the gravity of making a, a, a statement, according to Maimonides, um, of 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 questioning that is is very severe, especially when it makes sense. It's logical. And the Torah itself, there's evidence. Uh, there's evidence that I, I spoke for about eight hours on all on some, just some of the evidence that the Torah is indeed divine. You know, the Torah makes predictions that are once in all of human history events, and that happened. You know, we have the gift of hindsight to know that the Torah is divine. You know, we have the evidence. I, we could talk about this, and we should do a class on this. We have the things the Torah says that it couldn't have known. It has the predictions. It has just just the the, the uh, there's copious and uh, incontrovertible evidence. Unless someone is just um, going to be uh, stubbornly skeptical that the Torah is indeed is indeed what it claims to be. Remember the Torah itself, just the framework of the Torah. The book itself says that Moshe gave the Torah to the Jewish people. And to the people themselves that were with him, it wasn't like it was published afterwards. And it, it itself talks about all the miracles, just just as a, you know, a simple a simple uh, uh, equation here. Miracles. Once you have the miracles of Mount Sinai and the manna, the, what, what they eat for forty years, they ate the manna, magical food, literally magical food. That's what it says in the book. That's the story. And it says that Moses gave this book to the people, very same people that experienced this. The Torah could not have been falsified because the second, the second any one of those things is not true, the people discard the book immediately. Additionally, if Moses didn't give deliver the, the book to the people, well, then the people who get the book they know it's not true because Moses didn't deliver it to them. Uh, plus, the the multitude of once in a lifetime predictions that have happened as predicted in the Torah, uh, and just the phenomenon of a national relation has never ever never been even uh, it's never been. Uh, even proposed by any other religion, uh, should be enough evidence for us to conclude the Torah is indeed divine. So, um, and and also it makes sense. Like this is why I wanted to start with this. I don't want to get down, you know, to have this debate, but um, it makes sense. Like the, once we assume God exists, then unless we assume that God is some demon who's trying to just torture us, like as if he, you know, the God's just like. Taking the laser and making us jump around like <laughs> like the cats, right? You've seen those videos. Unless that's what God is doing, yeah, just Google <laughs> cat and laser. It's hours and hours of YouTube fun. <laughs> then it's clear, it's clear that 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 God wants us to that there's purpose. 
You know, if there's purpose, there has to be some other world, because otherwise there can't be purpose. It can't be. It can't be that our actions don't matter. Right? It can't be. The, the greatest intelligence that is able to infinitely, we said, encompass everything, to understand everything, to build as the human brain, and to just make everything so perfect. Right? That intelligence did it all for nothing. Yes, but there's, again, right, the thing. I, I personally, yes. well, I personally believe that the Torah is the, the word of God. Yes. He gave that to Moses. He, but you have to believe that it's, it's impossible to rationally argue that that's the case. Mm-hmm. You can say, well, you know, a bunch of people wrote it, uh, you know, a few thousand yeah, years okay, ago. Yeah, uh, okay, that's and, there's the leap of faith. And, but... and there are some, you know, yeah, coincidental stuff that happen. Some, uh, some are happening. So, but the question is, where's the leap? Means, okay, if this is believing, this is not believing. You know, where are you standing? Where are you leaping? Which direction? Which direction is more of a leap? That's the question. I think that the leap ought to be after you have examined the evidence. Let's examine all the evidence. See what we know for sure. Evidence and counter evidence, right? Right. For sure. But you will find. But you will find scholars, right? People studying the, you will the, you will find you will find scholars yes, uh, so that we, that question the textual uh, integrity of the Torah absolutely and they will say and you have to examine that and what what academic research I know exactly what you're talking about you know the hypo- talking about. yes yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. documentary hypothesis Julius Well has of course uh, he was the father father <laughs> of higher Bible criticism yes. uh, a German who learned Hebrew in his twenties right yes and, and by the way who did not use the teacher's edition. Mm-hmm. Was the teacher's edition? They're all Torah. That's the one thing he neglected. 99.9% of all his questions mm-hmm. were based on assumptions that any fifth grader in Israel knows is not true. Like the idea that Torah is written literally or chronologically. Mm-hmm. That's at the core of Bible criticism. Yeah, it's, it's, I can't remember how many times in the Talmud it says that A and Torah It's not written literally. It's not literally, I said linearly, is what I meant to say. It's not. Juxtaposition. Right. And it says, oh, God has different names. Oh, must be different authors, right? That's also the core, right? The, you know, the J and the E, right? Any first grader would tell you that uh, that the difference in the names of God, the multiple names that, that, that God is, is, is referred to, is, is because that's different influences of God. Right, right. What? Attributes. Attributes, exactly. Elohim is din, is justice, and, and the ineffable name, tetragram, is mercy. So when it says that God created, the Elohim created, it means it was created with Din. By the way, this is very much relevant to us here, because the fact uh, it, this, there's an overlap that's presented here, where God says, this is the way I think. No, 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 this is, this is more than that. That is, that is, that is, once again, a reflection of Din, of, ju- uh, of, of, of judgment. His answer was, so it was Din in my mind. So there are a bunch of verses, it was Din. So, it was so. He this is again free will and so on. He thought about all this way before everything, and he before right time he decided what will happen. But yeah, that this will be the time, case. so it still happens. Mm, yeah. Correct. So yes. But, so if, if you can ask God, right? No. So he could change his mind and and no, no, our frame of reference. He doesn't change our frame, frame of reference. It was like that was what he always. He, he doesn't change his mind. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Outside of the reference of time, a changing of mind is not linear. And and, and the other thing is not linear. Yeah, the linear thing is the time. The time that we believe it is not linear anyway. Uh, from the physics perspective. 
Um, and the other one is, 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 is this is the Kabbalistic interpretation, right? So it was seen in my mind that when he thinks things, things happen. That's exactly what, right? What it is. It's not that he creates things. He just thinks. God wills it. God wills yes, things to happen. Uh, but you you picked up on the nuance, by the way, it's a, it's a very uh, deep nuance, is one of the approaches to explaining this Talmud was um, uh, dealing with what it was deemed, means it was, it was some sort of mm-hmm. um, uh, previous kind of iteration of, of the world. There's lots of sources to talk about. You know, that there was... Multiple there was well, not multiple universes or multiple intentions. Which multiple is the seven. Well, that's also another thing <laughs> in the Talmud. Seven of seven. Okay. Anyhow, but I want to get back to the sources, right, if we can. Um, I have one more question. Yes, go you, ahead. Before you get back. On the death thing. Yes. Are there any known Jewish scholars or rabbis, etc., that have died and come back and shared any type of experience? We do have one story uh, brought down in two places in the Talmud um, at the rabbi's name. Uh, it's uh, it's the first documented case of a near-death experience. So we do have some documentation of that. Yes. It's, uh, it's in the book of Makros 10b. Yes, we said one question. He said one question. That's Why do we care if we bury the dead? Huh? Why do we care if we bury the dead if they're sold? Because the question assumes the question assumes that the body is irrelevant, and that's that's not a, that's not a, that's not that's not a true assumption. The body is a, a, a vessel that housed a soul. It was it was a vessel. Still, so, it's like the Talmud talks. Talmud talks about the laws that talk. And I'll get back to what you guys asked. I'll get to the content of this uh, near death experience in a second. But Talmud does talk about. Let's say you had a shul. And the shul went under, and they couldn't pay. Then they ever moved out to the suburbs. What do you do with the shul? You're not allowed to sell a shul, even though there's no shul there anymore. You cannot sell it and convert it into a gymnasium because it it once housed something, uh, something holy. Therefore, it still has. You cannot downgrade it from that. You got to turn it into some sort of other spiritual, um, spiritual uh, uh, use of the building. A mosque. So like, <laughs> well, I mean, like, I mean, like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't I'm gonna have to punish you. Today. I'm not gonna tell you what the content of the uh, near-death experience is. So yeah, I'm saying that these are laws. These are laws. Yes, that's a it's a problem. It's a problem. So uh, there's many, many, many vacant shuls in the Midwest of America, uh, that are just empty shuls. And I was in one in Cleveland. I was in Cleveland uh, two months ago. And it was a shul, and it's in Cleveland. It's a very, very big Jewish community in Cleveland. But that particular neighborhood was forsaken for whatever reason. Massive. I'm talking about the, uh, I think it was called the uh, something street shul. The, the He's from Cleveland. You're from Cleveland. Uh, what was the name of the street? Taylor Street? Taylor, 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 Taylor Road. Taylor Road? Taylor Road Synagogue. Taylor Road Synagogue. Thank you. I was there. They, what is that right? Hmm? Is, are we talking about the same place? Taylor Road Synagogue. I was never in there. Okay, massive building, enormous building. Um, they're trying to resuscitate it, you know, but it, it was vacant for years and years and years and years. So enormous, enormous building, just empty. <laughs> it was originally called the Old Zedek Congregation. 
Oh, of Sedek. Yeah. Right. So right now, when I was there, we, we dived there on a Friday, and the, the, the guys told me there that uh, you see all the furniture like from the 40s, 30s, even, who knows. Everything's old and musty and empty, enormous, cavernous building. Yeah. So uh, and nothing goes on there, but they're trying to resuscitate it. This is a new community. Huh? The Mesosot are still kosher? Who knows if they check it. <laughs> they check it. When I was in Spain, there was a, a mosque and a synagogue that were around it. Yeah. 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 Thirteen oh six when they kicked out of France. There's no bad history in Europe. Yeah, but, but, uh, but it's the, not new. The Christians, yeah, you know, converted, converted. Well, then, well, these we went to once. Well, just once to the guy in one mosque where they converted into churches. Yeah, yeah, but that, that that's the idea. I, I think that that we we accord a lot of respect the laws of the Chaver Kadisha of dealing with uh, with dead bodies, the respect and. You know that the people that tend to the dead body to prepare it for burial, they always ask like forgiveness in case we didn't properly treat it with enough honor and dignity. It's very, very serious laws. Like you, you don't just you ask permission. No, you ask forgiveness. Like you do, you do the you know the preparations, um, and uh, you prepare the body for 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 the funeral, the burial. Uh, but even after you do it with the most as much care and concern as as you possibly can muster, you still cover all bases by saying you know by apologizing case I didn't, you know, didn't give enough dignity. So yes, we um, even though this compared to the soul, obviously it's you know it's 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 set well, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Your your case, but there's one hundred and twenty years. Uh, I may, but uh, but uh, still the body is accorded a lot of dignity, a lot of respect. I'm going to ask my question because yes. I know that we've been all over the place tonight. We have. Well, I still want to get back to it. I'm, so not, I'm not leaving until so <laughs> we finish. I feel like I have no Yes, to, uh, go ahead. You're talking about the five, Olamaze, Olamaba, Mashiach. And that's a question that I've never asked to Rabbi. So, go ahead. Uh, we're saying that for Mashiach, for the coming of Mashiach, we will have to all Jews, uh, to have all Jews in the world, be observant of Shabbat. Three times, right? Three, three. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying on the on pragmatics uh, point, how is it possible? And it's not what I said. So, so, uh, that, so that's a, mis- a, a misinterpretation of the sources. Okay, okay. Sources say that if the Jews observe the Shabbat twice, two weeks in a row, then Mashiach will come. That, uh, there's another source. This is what's going to 97A. Maybe the source, you can check it out, make sure I'm not, I'm not fibbing this. It says... I would have said 7B, but that's okay. Uh, it's for sure A. Maybe it's 98A. Uh, all, by the way, you find whenever you talk about Mashiach and all the sources, all the sources are on the Sanhedrin in the 90s and the 100s. That's, so those are, those are the, all the, the sources that talk about this. That's where the core discussion group. So there it says, Ben David, son of David, which is always a reference to Mashiach. Because right, Messiah has to descend from the from the family of of King David, tribe of Judah. Ein ben David ba ella bedorshikula zakai or bedorshikula chayef. Anyone speak a little Hebrew here? A little bit. Okay. 
The son of David will not come only in a generation that's entirely wicked or a generation that's entirely righteous. Clearly, if the generation is entirely righteous, then King David will come. So what that means, there's many interpretations. Some say, well, a very polarizing generation, very, you know, where a lot, you know, there's a wide spectrum, you have the very righteous and very wicked, whatever. But clearly, it does open up the door for uh, King David, the son of David, uh, Mashiach, to come, excuse me, in a generation that's entirely wicked. Um, another way to interpret it is that Mashiach will come either because of us or despite of us. The reality the destination is set in stone. The path that we choose to get there is up to us. Which is, by the way, we talk about macro-Jewish history. That's a common theme that we always have, where the destination is there, how you get there is our choice. Does that answer your question? Progress, progress or regress to the destination, but we'll get there. Um, the, the, there will be a difference in, in the pleasantness of the journey, if you will. Uh, back to your question. Yes, your, your question. The content of the, the content of the drum roll, please. Yes, the content of the near-death experience that happened in, I believe it's in Macros 10b, Book of Macros is the book right after Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin talks about jurisprudence, law, and judicial practices. Macros is, is one right after it. Also talks about that. Continues that. This talks about um, if Sanhedrin talks about capital punishment. This talks a lot about other forms of criminal punishment. Also, there's obviously civil punishment as well, or civil law as well. So there it says a story about this rabbi who died, who had a near-death experience, and he came back, and he said, what did you see? Ma-ro-isa. Means, what did you see? What did I see? Olam hafuch ra'iti. Olam what? Hafuch. Hafuch. An upside-down world I saw. Elyonim lemata. Tachtonim lemala. Ilyona means those that are high were low, and those that are low are high. And veshamati shahayu omrim ashri And I heard that they were saying, praiseworthy is he who comes here and his Torah, his Talmud, his study is in his hand, his biyado is in his hand. He has a study in hand. That's what, that's what, that's the content of now, what this means is that, um, well, like I said, there's many interpretations. Uh, some of the interpretations are that in the next world, in this world, well, who do we value? The loud or the pompous? Uh, who, who makes the cover of all the magazines that you see when you check out? Who? The people that are the most arrogant people on the planet. The humble people. You know, they're not mentioned here. So, Yonah, the people that are here held in high esteem, Upstairs, they're at the bottom of the rung. But the humble people, the simple, humble, hardworking people over there, here that they're tachtonim, they're the ones at the bottom, they're their high. That's the simple understanding. Um, and there's more understanding there as well. But that's the content of, uh, I believe there's only one. Oh, no, there might be another one. We'll hold off on that one. Uh, there might be another source um, in Khadija that talks, the book of Khadija, which is the book of Talmud that talks about. The, uh, what happened during the holidays in the temple. But not a specific holiday, an generic holiday. So, for example, the book of Yoma talks about what happens in Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah talks about what happens in Rosh Hashanah, Sotra talks about what happens in Sukkot, in Pesach, uh, Pesachim talks about Pesach, etc., etc. The book of Megillah talks about Purim. Uh, but the book of Hadidon is a generic. It's holidays. The book of holidays talks about what happens in holidays. In it, it discusses uh, 
Ezekiel chapter 1. And Ezekiel chapter 1 is a very vivid and remarkable and astonishing and befuddling prophecy of Ezekiel. So it discusses it there. And in there it also talks about a journey made by four great rabbis, one of them being the aforementioned Rabbi Akiva, into what's called the Pardes. Into the Pardes. What is Pardes? Okay, well, Pardis literally means orchard, garden, okay, orchard. I don't know what Pardis is. I actually never learned that Gemara intensely. It's like, a, it's one of those Gemaras that you guys, a little too spooky, a little bit, uh, you know, it's like you're like, you feel like, whoa, this is, this is something I shouldn't be learning. It's too esoteric. Uh, but the Rambam, Maimonides, our leader in all matters of philosophy, at the end of chapter four of the very first section, of the Book of Mana, which is the very first book, which is called the Sodia Torah, where the four chapters that the Mani discusses Jewish theology. All you have is four, four, uh, four chapters of theology. And then he moves on. And then he says at the end, everything that I discussed till now is what's called Pardes. Everything that says now is called Pardes. Later on in that section of laws, you saw the principles of Torah, where he talks about prophecy, he talks about the journey of the prophet into the Pardes. It seems like it's, it's you know, Judaism is not, uh, is not obsessed really with theology. We don't talk about a lot about theology. Christians are obsessed with theology. We're not so obsessed with theology. We talk more about man and what we have to do. Uh, understanding God is something that we realize is an is, is a, is a, is exercise in futility because we're designed to not understand that entity. Because we can't understand the idea of existing outside of time and space. But Maimonides does address it, and he says this is called Pardis. Later on, he tells us that the, the prophets, they, 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 take a, they take a scroll in the, in the garden, so to speak. So it does talk about Rabbi Kiva and three others uh, being uh, Ben Azai, Acher, and I think Ben Zoma. Those are the four who went into the Pardis. And it was a disaster for some, and Rabbi Kiva's own who emerged unscathed. One of them died, one of them went crazy, one of them uh, uh, just yeah. couldn't handle it and abandoned uh, his faith, and Rabbi Kivas went, Nichnas B'Shalom, B'Yat went in peace and emerged in peace. Any other questions? Does God manage <laughs> to all these other stages of being, or does he have managers? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does he just manage... Like, does he have angels? Um, so there, the assumption, the assumption, what's what are the assumptions in the questions that these entities are existing concurrently? Is that right? Sure. I don't know if that's true. Well, I if, I, if I die, oh, 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 what happens if you die? Who says you're not necessarily going? No, no, no. What happens if that's a different question? No, but you've got these different stages. You no, said. no, no, no. I said for different different phases of existence. I said we can roll back the tape in here. Is exactly what I said. Uh, but different phases of existence. What okay, happens so after God you die? Well, my assumption is that those, for, from our perspective, we haven't reached any of those. Mashiach is not here. Uh, it's not Olam Abba. It's not Chetametim. And it's not Latid Labo. So, what happens if you die something else? Okay? You go with okay. that? Uh, just very briefly. I feel like the, the content that we're covering here is so broad. Yeah. And so, but... It seems like what happens with that one of three things can happen. I would 
send you guys, to, if you want to hear more about it, and you have an entire class, What Happens After You Die. That's what the title. You find it on the website, rabobi.com. Listen and enjoy. Um, covers this. Yeah, but no, but that's not that's not what we're talking Where about. Where do we find it? RabbiWolby.com is my website. All my classes, all there. I have a question back on this. Um, from from this, it would seem like um, that you might actually want something bad to happen. But like like all, like all, okay, so all the daily prayers and things, yeah, they're, they're over and over again. You you see, please don't let anything bad happen. Yeah, please, please, just all good, and not bad. You know, mm-hmm. be nice to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you would be sane, but it would seem like you should ask for, please, bring it on. Let yeah, us, let us I, address the question. I love that. Let, let, let's get back into it, okay? You, you, I you want to finish, finish this right? very quickly. I want to finish this quickly because I know it's already after 9 o'clock. I can't believe it's already after 9 o'clock. But I want to address that because we have we have a few questions that are unanswered. Uh, we have the two questions we asked from source number one, and then we have source number two. We have a few questions as well. Number one, why did Moses ask the same question when he had asked the question already? If God, you ask God a question, God says, silence, this is what is deemed in my mind. Why would you go back a mere 40 days later? Remember, when does this happen? When, where is Exodus chapter 33? If you look at Exodus chapter 33, that's right after. No, no, not yet. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, what is in the rock? That's right. He's in the rock. It's right after he comes back. He destroys the tablets right after the golden calf, right? His face is shining. Remember, his face is shining. He says, God, show me your ways. And God says, you can't see my face. People around in double cut. Someone's in my face, they'll die. Uh, it's not possible for someone to exist like that. Uh, and uh, and then God says, that's when I ask the question. So it's a mere 40 days later. It's an important point. You ask a question to God, right? God says, Silence, so is the end of mind. Why would you go four days later asking the same question? Number one. Number two, this is a different answer. What, what kind of answer is that? This is, first, thing, first time he gave, us, he gave him an answer. Second time he said, first time he did not give him an answer. Second time he gave him a very developed answer. I believe that really it's one thing here. Let's go back to, <clears throat> to, the, to the first question that we asked. We said, Moses asked God, you showed me his Torah, show me his reward. God showed him something that in God's View is his reward. Moses did not understand that. Clearly, Moses followed up the question. What did he show Moses? He showed Moses, Rabbi Kiva, getting his punishment in this world. Thus, we could argue, like exactly what Israel said here, that in God's view, from God's perspective, if you were to have a totally spiritual perspective on the world, you were to say, what's the best kind of reward someone could possibly get? to pay your fine in pesos, to have your punishment in this world. That's the best kind of reward in God's view. Moses says, wait a minute, what's going on here? This is, this is the Torah, this is the reward? This is, this is what you call reward? What does God say? No, 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 silence. You don't understand. This is how I think. So it was even in my, my mind. If you had my view, this, you would agree with that. This is the answer. He's telling it. You, Moses, don't understand. 40 days later. What happens 40 days later? What happened to Moses over that time? Remember his face was glowing, right? Mm-hmm. His face was glowing. He had, he had, he had, he had a sheet, exactly. What did, what, what did Moses put on? We don't, what did Moses put on? He put a mask. Why? Because his face was like the Pnei Moshe Kepnei Chama. The face of Moshe was like the face of the sun. For the ensuing 40 years, Moses Moshe wore a mask. His face was like the sun. Do we have talked about the sun even once today? I don't remember we mentioned the sun. Yeah, we did. We did. Shemesh, Emmanuel Abba. It's part of, it's like Olam Abba. What's Olam Abba? Souls. Our souls like the sun. 
Moshe had achieved a level where his soul effused, right, came out. His body was no longer an influence. It was just a soul. People couldn't look at him because, it was, because like I said, the Olam Abba, a world of souls, it's like the sun. Moses' face turns into the soul. His level went up. He was more of a spiritual entity now than a physical entity. Moses says, God, you told me 40 days ago, silence, this is the way I think. I understand it. You don't understand it. It's 40 days later. Now on a much higher level. I want to ask the question again. Maybe now I can understand it. So that says, oh, you're right. And he explains in the answer. So if we have a hard time accepting this, if we have a hard time if we're skeptical about this idea, why bad things have the good people on the answer that's, that's found in the Talmud of Brachos, we should feel very good because we were in very good company. Why? Moses himself, at one point in time, when God told him, this is the reward of Rabbi Akiva, he says, whoa, whoa, what's going on over here? How could this be a reward? Even Moses, the great Moses, at his level, couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. If we feel like we have a hard time accepting this, we're in very good company, I feel. So that's why I think this, this is to bring a full circle. We set out to hear one of the Talmudic perspectives in this matter. The, ta- the Talmud gives us two narratives with Moses. Two of them. Why does it give us two narratives with Moses? Perhaps it's telling us this is the idea, but Moses had a development that only after he became such a heightened uh, spiritual uh, person where his face was glowing, we know, we know exactly what it was, right? We have, it's time stamped. When he went up to heaven, he couldn't understand it. 40 days later, he had a much higher level, then he understood it. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's what I wanted to say, and I appreciate everyone's listening. As like I said, it's not an easy topic, it's a very sensitive topic, of course. It's a very problematic topic, of course. We hear the idea, we don't feel, we shouldn't feel comfortable with it. It shouldn't feel good. If it feels good, if it feels like we're at peace with it, there's something wrong with us. Because you see your Bakiva skin being flayed. This is his reward. If I told you that and you accepted it, there's something wrong with you. Moses, God, Moses at his second point in time, God, maybe they can understand it. We can understand it. We shouldn't feel okay with it. So like I said, it's, it's, it's a little bit... It's enlightening on one hand, yet it's frustrating on the other hand. It's, it's, it's enlightening because it makes sense, we can understand it. Yet, if I saw someone suffering, I wouldn't be like Rabbi Akiva and start laughing. I probably wouldn't do it. Rabbi Akiva, maybe, he was at that level. You know, Moses, Moses said, hey, Rabbi Akiva, you give the Torah through Moses. God didn't argue with that. Well, maybe that's why he had to go through a little bit more. Himself. Why? Maybe he shouldn't have laughed because... Maybe he would have had an easier death. Or, 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 or no. Or, or maybe, maybe because he was at such a high level, he got such a great reward, but the way God sees reward. Uh, but, but yes, uh, we no, have the idea. He was laughing out of. He was delighted. He was delighted. Yeah. He was relieved. I'm happy. He wasn't laughing at him. Yeah, he means he was yeah. smiling. He was sameach. He, he was, was delighted. Happy. Yeah, he was happy. He was, the word that we use at the end there was, was happy. So, so that's the idea, guys. It's it's something. God was not even calling him by his name. I'm sorry. He was not calling him by his name. Who? He was because uh, when you too long. <laughs> so if we're gonna ask God to like punish us as much as possible.
possible here instead of in the next world? I don't think do we ask, you know, hold it off as long as possible and just give We don't dump it on me at the end or just <laughs> no. spread it out. No, so we it's don't, not that bad. We, don't, uh, we never, ever, ever <laughs> ask for bad things to happen to us. We don't do that. You know why? Because once we do that, we're bringing upon ourselves like what, uh, like what Miriam brought up, and that's a challenge. We never ask for challenges. We so, don't. That's, so that's why. Because that's always going to be a crisis of so faith. That's why in the Sidorim, it's always, you know, please don't. Yes. Please. But after you have it, you cherish it. Because you know that you had a challenge, and you had a punishment, and that is going to be deducted off your total. Right, but you don't want to bring about the problems on no, no, no. Yes, of course not. Yes. This is the question. Right. Right. Yeah, there's plenty that we'll get. Right. God has enough enough in store for us that we don't need to. We don't need to ask for more. So, Rowan, this was a sensitive topic, and we, we've been a good crowd. I think we're a good crowd, right? yes. <laughs> good crowd. Um, we can, Thank you. in the future, we could pursue... You guys passed the... You passed. It's yeah, quite a list of red. Yeah, I think it's 190 classes. Oh yeah. On every topic. Each one of the topics that we spoke about, it was covered. And next time, we do like Moses, we ask the same question. Twice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of next time, announcements. So next Wednesday, or what is it, Tuesday, is Pearl? Right? Uh, no, Wednesday night. 